On Friday afternoon and most of yesterday, I was out with a group of men working at QC Family Tree, that wonderful inner city ministry off Tuckasegee Road. On, uh, we're finally getting some work out of this men's work group. You know, most of the time we just get together to play, um, but we were doing a little work and we were removing hardwood flooring on Friday and I got a head full of dust that somehow has transfigured into the rhinovirus into my head and um, so you will bear with my voice today but thanks to the men who have worked together over this weekend. Before I read the text for today I want, to, I want you to take a moment to think about an important mentor, a favorite teacher, a leader that you, that you really followed, someone you idolized in your younger years, maybe a spiritual guide, a mentor. Let me give you just a moment, a mentor. Because we're reading a story from 2 Kings in the Old Testament of the Bible, you may already be prejudiced to hear the story of Elijah and Elisha as if it's just like all that other Old Testament stuff, you know, old, stuffy, antiquated, not really relevant. Let me invite you to think again. If you can listen between the lines or cut through that biblical patina, you know, that kind of cloudy film that often keeps people from really appreciating the Bible, maybe strip away any cynicism you have when you hear about heavenly whirlwinds or chariots of fire. You can hear the story as the story of one leader passing his, his baton on to his successor. There are some important things we can learn from this story that has been repeated countless times in human relationships between a mentor and a successor. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, translation, Elijah was about to retire, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to his Mentee, the younger, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. You ever had a mentor you just could not bear to leave? Elisha would not leave his mentor. So they went to Bethel. And the company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And Elisha said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. The Old Testament scholar John Holbert says a better way to translate this is to hear Elisha annoyed and frustrated. All the ministers of the town have come out to tell this wannabe that his mentor is retiring. And Elisha says, I know, now shut up about it. The episode repeats. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And the company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from me? And he answered, Yes, you don't have to keep reminding me. And in good biblical fashion, the episode repeats a third symbolic time. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 
Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and, and stood at some distance from them. And as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his mantle, his cloak, and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and then to the other until the two of them crossed on dry land. This is a clear allusion to the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And when they had crossed, Elijah, the old mentor, said to Elisha, the younger student, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah responded, You have asked a hard thing. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not be granted. John Holbert suggests we take out the magic of floating chariots and hear this as a powerful metaphorical depiction of the departure of a beloved mentor. Holbert says this strange instruction, if you see me, it will be granted. If you don't see me, it will not be granted. He says this is an exhortation to humility and faithfulness on the part of the student. If, as if Elijah is saying, stay with me to the end. Don't think too quickly that you can do it on your own. Your time will come, but don't try to step into that role until the time is right. And as they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into the whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching. He stayed with his mentor to the very end and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see Elijah, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into pieces. When his mentor was gone, there was appropriate grieving. What mentor-mentee relationship have you had maybe like this one? Have you been faithful, refusing to leave? Have you followed to the end or have you some way overstepped trying to claim your place too soon? Have you been, been bold enough to ask any trusted guide, I want everything that made you great and I want twice as much of it? You have heard the ancient story. <clears throat> Amy and I had been dating for about five years. As is often the case when couples have dated that long, we both had a sense of that this thing might be going somewhere beyond dating, and we cautiously, hesitantly began dipping our toes into the water of language about, you know, our future together. We waded in until we could finally say, when we get married, and when we were finally comfortable to talk openly about getting married, she made it clear to me one day don't ask my daddy. You're not marrying my daddy. If you want to ask, you ask me. Now, you need to understand that this was not Amy Jacks Dean, the confident, experienced pastor. This was not Amy Jacks Dean, veteran of battles fought and won in defense of a woman's place in the pulpit. This wasn't even Amy Jackstein after a few classes with Dr. Molly Marshall who made feminist theologians out of most of us who sat in her classes. This was little Amy Jacks who at that time was still planning something like being barefoot and pregnant on A.B. Jacks Road. That Amy Jacks hardly knew the word feminism. But she knew marriage was a big deal 
requiring a big ask, and she knew when the time came the big ask needed to be made in the right way and for the right reasons and to the right person. My daddy doesn't own me. You don't, you, you don't need his permission. If you're going to ask, you ask me. In the Forbes magazine article entitled Seven Keys to Asking for What You Really Want So You Get It, Dr. Margie Worrell names the following. Number one, don't assume others are mind readers. Clearly communicate your needs when you ask. Number two, be specific about what you want and when you want it. It's unreasonable to expect to get what you want if, uh, um, if people aren't clear what that is. Number three, be clear about what you will not tolerate. She says it's just a rule of life. You get what you tolerate. Or as an old friend of mine in Birmingham said it, you get what you inspect, not what you expect. Number four, forget hints. Be direct. If you don't want to be ignored, be explicit when you ask. Number five, she says, ditch the martyr act. Moving your own needs higher on your priority list is not selfish. Your needs matter too. Number six, don't make no mean more than it does. Face it, you will not always get what you ask for. And number seven, be bold in what you ask for. The reality is you will rarely, if ever, be given more than what you have the courage to ask for. You will rarely be given more than what you have the courage to ask for. So don't dilute your request in order to minimize the possibility of being turned down. Think about what your ideal outcome would be and then confidently, courageously ask for it. Not in an entitled way. Not in an aggressive way, but in a way that conveys that you know what you are worth. Be bold in what you ask for. Today is Transfiguration Sunday on the liturgical church calendar. As we move through this season of Epiphany, the natural world is moving from darkness to light, from the shortest day of the year toward the longest day. And the church is celebrating the ongoing revelation of Jesus. From his birth at Christmas and then to his appearance to the Magi, those kings of the east who represent the nations of the world, to Jesus' baptism by John and then his temptation in the wilderness and his ministry among the people, each step a bit more revelation, little by little, a little more light into what and who Jesus was. Today, we celebrate a kind of culmination of this movement of epiphany, this revealing of Jesus to his disciples. Those closest to Jesus went with him up the mountain where he was transfigured before them. And as they saw him standing there with Moses and Elijah, the revealing, the epiphany was complete. Moving from their Jewish understanding to a new vision, they saw Jesus clearly. He was like those two exemplars of, of Jewish faith, yet even greater. Now, think what you will about the transfiguration story. Whether you think it's a super, supernatural miracle that occurred on Mount Tabor, 
or a metaphor of the church's growing awareness of the centrality of Jesus in their new vision. Either way, I believe we do not get much out of the story if it only affirms for us a doctrine about Jesus. He was transfigured. Okay. So what? What does that mean to you? The question for this Transfiguration Sunday is how will I be transformed? How will Jesus change us? It's not a metaphysical question. It is a practical one. Someone in this world needs you. Or some moment, some experience, some decision is calling for your voice, your strength, or your call. Your courage, your example, or just your quiet presence. What is holding you back? It was Christmas Eve, 1995. Amy opened the little box in her parents' living room. She said she was praying the whole time that she could act excited if it was just a pair of earrings. It was not. It was a diamond, and I made the big ask. And it has changed my life. What do you need to ask to get what you need to be transformed? Of whom do you need to ask it? To be what you ought to be, where you ought to be, all that you should be. Elisha was bold. It might even sound brash asking for a double share of his mentor spirit. But transformation always means making the big ask. May it be so today. Amen.